Thank you for listening to this public service announcement brought to you by Against the Mob podcast. So we have journalists who've died ambiguous deaths, strange ritualistic cults that may or may not run this country, some say George W. Bush planned 9-11, or that we live on a flat earth and are visited by interdimensional Bigfoot. Boy, oh boy, don't we all love a good conspiracy theory. But in this new age of constant CIA misinformation barrages, and of course, to a lesser extent, the misinformation campaigns of foreign governments, it is imperative that we have a litmus test in order to purse out these spooks' false narratives. Now, of course, you'll have to continue past these steps to find real truth, but this is a decent place to start. Firstly, we have the standard of incentive. After all, for any complex conspiracy to form, there must be something for the party to gain. Secondly, how many people have to keep this secret? Or at the very least, can they compartmentalize it enough that the public can't get this information readily? For example, I might could buy into a Bob Lazar working underneath a secret military base on advanced technologies, uh, but only in small compartmentalized pieces where he's not able to get this evidence to the public. It is uh, more difficult, however, to believe that every pilot has been bought off in order to ignore the strange flight patterns that don't quite match up with the flat earth they're flying over. And lastly, we want to consider who is feeding us this information, and how much can we trust this source. For example, the Michelle Obama is a man crowd can't seem to tell black folks apart anyway, so we can probably safely cross this one off. So good luck out there, kiddos, and remember, listen to everything, but believe very little. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Against the Mob Podcast, where your favorite rambling libertarians tell you how to think and why you should think that way about everything there is to think in the liberty space. Uh, we got, of course, Matthew Billingsley and myself, Logan Carpenter, here again as usual. Uh, and today, we're going to take a look back at one of my favorite Scandinavian concepts uh, and how that kind of relates to our idea of a little bit more of a stateless society, but also the importance of uh, what this concept means to us. Um, today we're looking at the old uh, concept of a Scorgamor, or uh, I think it was more aptly pronounced Scorgamorther, although that is a very silly Scandinavian pronunciation because they have a silly language over there. <laughs> and uh, we've all watched Vikings by now, so we know that we pronounce it here in America as Scorgamor because that was more palatable to our English ears. Uh, <laughs> this conversation started kind of uh, to evolve past that as we formed this episode. I think I threw that down just as like a an idea, like I said, of sort of a more stateless society and a society where you don't expect an executive branch to carry out the the end of your judicial process. How would you as a society kind of handle it? And that's where this idea of a scorgamore comes from. Um, but this kind of evolved into more of a general idea and conversation about the impact of bullying on society or the corrective force of public shaming on society. Um, so today we're going to take 
kind of take a step into that discussion uh, and look at the fine line between an appropriate level of public shaming and kind of the relentless bullying and the effects that that can have in society as well. This will definitely be used in our trial as well. I, I know there's I know there's going to be excerpts in this where they're just going <laughs> to clip them out of context and use them in uh, as our in our crimes against humanity trial one of these days when agenda 2030 is taken root and we have to answer to our overlords for our crimes of uh you know of our thought crimes and ultimate speech. crime against humanity of speaking against your authority figures that's that's pretty much it but as always guys you know you love them you know that we love them and there will be a lot of uh references to uh you know what what should we do with pedophiles in this episode um because it holds a very interesting it holds a very interesting place in this conversation. But public hangings for pedophiles, you guys know about them, and we all want to see this abysmal evil eradicated. And that's what this group is working towards. Every quarter, these guys make a donation to another organization that is in the trenches with them. And their Q4 donation of 2022 went to the Guardian Group, a nonprofit organization of former elite military operators, bringing the full fight of human trafficking in the United States. You can find a link to them in the podcast description below, but of course it is only possible with your direct support. So go to ph-fp.com to check out what they have to offer. Don't get caught without your public hangings for pedophile swag. Go get you a t-shirt, go get you a hoodie, go get you a plate carrier, go get you a flag, go get you something and support the cause. They are doing some awesome work. And when you shop there, you support them. You help them support the show. And most importantly, you help support survivors in real meaningful ways. So if you're tired of the nonsense, you can help by spending some dough at their website. Again, that's ph-fp.com, public hangings for pedophiles, turning awareness into action. These are real badasses, guys. These aren't the LARPers like you and I screaming into the ether of the internet. We're talking about ex-military guys like real dudes who signed up to be heroes to fight for your freedoms, went overseas and realized that we were actually fighting for oil money, uh, got disheartened by that, came back with their PTSD. But eventually they got their shit back together and they're going out there to be actual heroes now. And they're hunting against something that's uh, a tremendously worse than anything your government's lying to you about uh, that some other foreign government has interrupted their heroin in infrastructure or uh, their gas pipelines or threaten to go off the oil dollar. Uh, these are real heroes now and real people. And you can be a part of it by simply giving a little bit of money to PHFP, which, of course, Mr. Hangings is well. Uh, one of those heroes not to out him. I know he doesn't want to put his face on the organization. He wants the organization to stand on its own, which I think is also admirable. Uh, but something that's difficult to grasp as a narcissist as Matthew and I are who like to put our faces on everything that we do. Uh, but like I said, if you really want to make a difference there, this is a really good chance to do that, to fill uh, that superiority complex and get to do that virtually signaling online that we all want to do so bad. And all you have to do is keep a couple of bucks to ph-fp.com. I like it. Yeah, I was going to say you beat me to the narcissistic comment because it's like, yeah, because you and I just can't live in the shadows and not accept responsibility <laughs> or, uh, or, or credit for what we do. It's just not in our nature. It is interesting to see people in our space go like, man, you guys say some wild shit with your names on it and uh, don't really care about your future employment propositions or <laughs> you're kind of no. like, yeah, or, you know, I just didn't think of it at all when I started this and now we're in too deep. So who gives a shit? Yeah, that's also fair. I'm also hoping that I, I never have to work for somebody else again. I'm hoping that the whole, you know, business ownership thing keeps on, keep, it keeps the lights on and the house paid for. So I never have to worry about what I say because it's my company. I'm not going to fire me for what I say, you know, it's at least the hopes. That's the goal, what we're working towards. 
That makes a lot of sense. I I uh, definitely have that in the back of my head because I have a tendency to say very inappropriate things. I've I've lost my filter. Uh, you guys get a, a stronger version of it on this podcast, but I do say inappropriate things just about everywhere I go in this world. Uh, and I essentially think that I've never been really an issue for me in the the corporate space, knock on wood, uh, simply because I'm more charming than it is worth to throw me into the HR department. Uh, and that's kind of, I've won people over with my charm and therefore not been fired from any jobs for being an inappropriate, bad little uh, PR child. I racism. Yeah. <laughs> racism light. I, I didn't say racism. I said inappropriate behavior and comments. <laughs> Sometimes uh-huh. it's sexism and misogyny too. Yeah, Logan is an equal opportunity hater. Welcome to (laughs) The First World, a practically post-apocalyptic, slightly mad magazine, Alice in Wonderland version of a dark dystopian reality that is freakily similar to ours. In a dimension not quite far enough away, some shit went down, sending us down a dark, slightly moist satirical rabbit hole. Our reality takes the sitter route when the leader or mother obsessed cult murders the Messiah monkey. Go check out what they have to offer at firstworldcomic.com. Pre-order your copy. Go sign up for their Patreon. Stay up to date on all things First World. Get acquainted with the characters like Auntie Sam, Above Average Joe, and many, many other lovable, (laughs) fantastic characters. Get your copy. It's hot off the press. You're not going to want to get caught with that one. Logan and I have several first edition issues, and their second one is in the making. I got to see it the other day, and I promise it is fantastic. You guys want to go support them. If you like liberty-loving content that is not so much like, I don't know, in your face about the messaging, but is just a counter to the woke um, cult, you know, the woke nonsense that has taken over the mainstream of pretty much every form of entertainment, then this is a great place to go support the cause. Again, that's firstworldcomic.com. First World Comic. Sit down, strain, and try not to melt. And that's that vote with your dollar concept out there. Like uh, Burt Kreischer has a movie that's going to come out, the machine movie. Um, I have no idea if it's going to be good or not. I am definitely going to go see it, whether everybody says it's horrific or not, because <laughs> I want Hollywood's stranglehold on all of these properties to be pulled away because I'm tired of Disney cramming woke stuff down my throat. I want to see alternatives in my media. I want the the overall culture of that space to understand that there are those of us who want to be entertained and also haven't bought all this BS the corporate media is trying to slam down our throats. So the way you do that, guys, is by spending a dollar. Uh, you know, go out there, find something you enjoy, spend a little bit of money on it, even if it's something you don't enjoy. If you don't decide you love First World Comic, uh, buy an issue anyway. It's not going to cost you that much money. It's going to promote this space, this culture. Uh, maybe you love the next issue. Maybe it inspires new comics. If you're a comic book nerd and you're tired of reading uh, about the new transgender uh, immigrant superhero, uh, which that was one of my favorite. What was the new Doctor Strange movie? Uh, where the, I have no like, idea. <laughs> there's this great, uh, they have their first like, uh, Mexican superhero and her superpower is that she projects a portal uh, through her chest and then she can travel illegally into any country she wants, uh, travel anywhere <laughs> she wants to. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was pretty hilarious and almost like, do you guys see the correlation here? Uh, but anyway, the point I'm trying to make here, guys, is go check out First World Comic. We're going to try to bring other properties to you guys' attention as well that, that uh, are in this space. Um, but this is one of the first ones we found that we're just on fire for. That's like this little startup. He has a, a lot of the uh, 
same understandings of the corporate media and how we need to get around it and start building a culture. And, and it's just a, a beautiful, hilarious. It's also something that you're, you're going to laugh your ass off. If you read this, it's just a hilarious comic. It's a good read. It's fun. Uh, and we want to start encouraging with our dollar more spaces for people who believe in liberty, people that aren't just licking the boot and wanting to take in the same kind of propaganda we've always gotten. Here, here. And with that being said, shame, shame, shame. And this is, this is, been a fun episode to prep for because it has gone in a lot of different ways, especially from the original genesis of where what the idea kind of started at. But it is something that's fun to look at because it shame is a fascinating and powerful motivating factor. And we wanted to do an episode on just kind of exploring and meandering through all of the different aspects of this, looking at, you know, public shaming as a correction tool in society and the implications of having that avenue removed from quote unquote polite society, but then also look at kind of the resurgence that it's come in the form of internet cancel culture and being shamed for every little thing. And at that point, it just becomes like extreme bullying and it's no longer like maybe corrective <laughs> shaming, but it's just, you know, it's gone, you know, to, to the, to the, the far side and something to keep in mind that we've approached this topic with the understanding that many of these forms of public shaming would fit the, you know, the definition of cruel and unusual punishment and that they haven't been a net positive force in many of their applications. So we're not here saying, yeah, go push over the nerdy kid or we're not here to advocate for bullying, but we do want to, you know, ride that fine line that we like to walk and really just look, <laughs> look at the concepts of public shaming for better or for worse. Right. And I think part of uh, kind of the same concept is that we've we're not necessarily saying that we believe that we should 100% go back to bullying. It's not that there's a category A and a category B. There's not a line in the middle that says, yes, I'm for bullying. No, I'm for the eradication of bullying. It's this uh, kind of idea that we've gone too far in society and pacifying ourselves. Um, I think that was kind of telling in the same way where like I typed in, what are we can find about bullying? So I typed in, why is bullying necessary or why is it important that we bully or, you know, something along those lines. And you got to go to like page six of Google to find the first article that's not satirical and that is in favor of bullying. Um, so I just think that's kind of a small microcosm of exactly how the society we live in now has taken such a focus and going the opposite direction. We need to completely eradicate bullying. And maybe we've missed out on what some of the important social factors are of developing growing up uh, with this sort of concept of bullying. But with all of that said, Excuse me, you want to start to see up in there? No, I was going to, well, I was just going to say that we might use the two terms interchangeably, like bullying and public shaming. But um, I guess in my mind, I see public shaming not as a, not as a for, because I think that it's just in the way that our modern lexicon presents them, that public shaming is different than bullying because when I think of bullying, I think of something that's that's malicious in its nature, that's not done with good intentions to correct behavior, but it's just because you're being a jackass. And public shaming, though, has its role in society to try to you know bring somebody into the fold of what we see as acceptable norms. Um, but that's just at least my my differentiating between the two. That's not too bad. And I didn't jot it down, but there was like an official government definition of bullying and you weren't <laughs> terribly far off. It's something along the lines of like malicious and relentless uh, harassment, you know, to not whatever. Um, but I think that 
too is is kind of you know these are ambiguous terms to a certain extent that Fair. bullying is kind of in the eye of the beholder if you're saying there's a good one called public shaming, shaming. There's a bad one called bullying yeah. it's like well then what are you bullying them for because if you're bullying them for a completely justifiable reason then that's public shaming and then if my sure. particular group doesn't think that's a justifiable reason then we're calling it bullying yeah no so that's it, totally it fair of, you know, walks that that line of ambiguity as well i think totally fair <laughs> so when i started off on this the first thing i put down was kind of this concept that popped in my head of this scorgamore uh which is this concept that i was introduced to with the popular uh series vikings which is a uh, about seven seasons long and it's like three exceptional seasons. And then there's four other seasons if you want to pick up on it. Um, <laughs> I think it's worth watching. It's definitely the first couple seasons, but it is takes the classic, which me and Matt talked about that <laughs> show notes, getting prepped for this. So there's like this natural evolution of series nowadays where like you get a pilot lit, you get the first season, they write an awesome season, they get another contract for a couple seasons, they write some pretty good stuff. And then they kind of exhaust the source material eventually, especially when it's these complex fantasy worlds uh, where they have to keep up with the Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings or or uh, Game of Thrones being a, a great example of it as well. And then eventually you get to this point where you've uh, exhausted the source material and outlived your ability to write it. And now you have some dipshit 27-year-old underpaid writer who has never written anything <laughs> impressive in his life that has to pick up the torch. Uh, but regardless of all of that, uh, this idea of a score always kind of interested me. Um, Partially because it's sort of a step towards a stateless society in a certain way um, that these Viking societies didn't really have an executive branch overlooking their entirety of their society. So what they had instead was this outlaw system to remove somebody from it. If the community as a whole found you guilty of a certain crime, they could choose to exile you or what they called a scorgamor, which is essentially it translates into man of the forest. Uh, which is kind of a nod to the banishment that they would have to leave this polite society. Um, I don't think this was a necessarily a universal thing in Viking society. And I think it was just something from the show. I don't even know if it was a common tradition in Viking society, but in the show, they'd give them a nice brand right on the forehead so that everybody can see right away that you're one of these Scorgamores and you're one of these tear men of the forest who is no longer allowed to be part of society anymore. Yeah. And it's in, I think before we dive deeper, though, I do want to kind of just keep kind of these questions in the back of our mind where we can. What is the goal of justice and does punishment actually help us achieve it? You know, and what is is the goal of a punishment to outcast, ostracize and in some cases maybe eliminate a person? Is it the goal to rehabilitate the individual for reinduction into polite society? And I, I guess they're just rhetorical questions because they're not one-to-one, right? Punishment and rehabilitation are not um, in their abstract or in their manifest in their manifestation the same thing. But it is kind of because a lot of questions popped up in my mind as we prepped for this episode that I didn't ever start thinking about until we started trying to get this episode recorded. And just something to just like those rhetorical questions as we, as we go through some of these things, like because sometimes the goal is not to, you know, uh, rehabilitate somebody. Sometimes the goal is to remove them or to eliminate them as a human. That sometimes is the goal of the punishment. Other times you do want to try to rehabilitate somebody and are the pursuits of justice that we have used or have used today. Do they actually get us there or are we missing more? I don't know. Just, just like those greater, I don't know, boring 
philosophical questions of justice and what does it mean to society <laughs> no absolutely and, and there uh i will get to kind of the hit little bit of a history segment of scorgamores and the uh way down but um i do know there were ways of them to be reintegrated into society that was kind of part of in fact a lot of the big norse uh legends eric the red being one of them there were two other names that i can't pronounce uh because they were silly <laughs> scandinavian names again uh, but Eric the Red was one of them who was one of these Scorgamores earlier in his life. And in fact, that's what caused him to go into exile, to sail uh, west and to ultimately confirm Greenland as an actual con uh, country or uh, landmass, I guess. Um, before that, it was kind of this mythical land. It was like, what are you talking about? There's lands to the, the east of us here or the west of us here out in the ocean. That is preposterous. We know for a fact that once you've murdered and raped all of the English, there's nobody to murder and rape west of there. <laughs> <laughs> i do think uh to um and it, it started off kind of this way in my head is what we were going to talk about um and i think we decided we wanted to go more of this this route of the, kind of the impact it has on society rather than uh its implication as a form of a society that doesn't have exactly the same state apparatus that we have in a way that uh ultimately an ex executive branch could work uh, without it, but I did want to kind of brush on that briefly before we moved on to to the broader conversation. Um, I did think one particular aspect of it that was very interesting is that it kind of narrows in and makes more uniform the morality and the laws, uh, that it brings those two concepts closer together. I mean, we have laws now that you would think are preposterous. So you're like, why would that be on the books? Why would that represent my community? And a lot of times that comes from being a gigantic centralized federal government where the values of somebody in Portland, Oregon and uh, Birmingham, Alabama are going to be a little bit different from each other. But you're still encapsulated under the same federal law because oh, we're one people that has been pulled together where if you leave it rather more to the society itself to enforce the law rather than the executive branch of the state, which are just going to essentially be agents, you know, jackboot agents of the state who are going to go in and enforce what they are told to enforce because that's who pays them to do so. Uh, you're going to have people who only enforce the laws that they see to be morally wrong. Um, I mean, a great example of this is stealing a horse in Texas, which recently got taken off the books. You used to could hang a man for stealing your horse in the state of Texas. And it was like when it came off the books, everybody had this snicker on the Internet. We all pointed and laughed and went and tweeted about how silly this was. Could you believe that up until recently in Texas history, they could hang you for stealing a horse? How could that ever be on the board of insane law? How dumb were we back in the day? But the implication you're missing there is that at one point in time, that could completely bankrupt you. It could cause you not to feed your family for winter because you don't have a plow horse anymore. It could leave you stranded in the middle of nowhere. And there ain't no bus coming out in the middle of nowhere, Texas in right. 1801, you know? <laughs> so they're, they're, at one point in time, this was an offense that you would be like, absolutely, you should hang a man for stealing your horse. It seems silly now because the morality and the values of our time and the technology that we have has changed drastically from the time that that was written. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of... I, I think that what's another what's another fun Texas law that I enjoy? Oh, it's illegal. I, I don't know if this one's still on the books or not, but it used to be illegal to shoot a buffalo from a second story window in Texas. You <laughs> shoot from a first story window, but not a second story window. And I actually don't know the reasoning behind that. It's just one of those absurd laws I, I heard one day. And it's like, oh, I, I, I like that. But and it's and I think that it's interesting, though, that what you talk about that. It's a reflection of society's values and the implications of it, because, sure, 
as because now horses are pretty much a luxury, right? And there's they're expensive to own. They are they I mean they're 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 expensive to buy, they're expensive to own, expensive to maintain. It's a very niche part of society that actually has horses, but once upon a time it was a very commonplace thing because you needed it for pretty much any sort of livelihood as you moved out west. And as society's morals and our values change, then of course you would want laws and stuff to reflect that. And on a tangent, like kind of related but not related, I would ex- I, I think that people that steal like skis and bikes and snowboards and recreational equipment are just the horse thieves of new. And that we should, uh, you know, I, I mean, my personal hardline <laughs> stance is that we should hang them from the ski chair line so that everybody knows that you can't do that. And I actually saw this. I was in Crested Butte one summer. Um, no, I was. Yeah, I saw I, somebody hanging from the. the no, I, I didn't. I didn't see that. Um, <laughs> but I saw somebody trying to steal a. Yeah, bike. man, don't be stealing our skis, bro. <laughs> this is. It was oh, in the summer. Such a, a snow bunny mountain dude that you're <laughs> you're willing to hang people for ski theft. Yeah, I think so. Like it, <laughs> that's shame, shame, like that. shame on you. That's like that's 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 a, that's a you problem, not a me problem. Um, but there was a guy that was trying to steal a bike, and the a group of people that weren't related to the actual property saw him attempting to steal the bike and proceeded to beat him up. And then they called the cops. <laughs> And the cops arrested the dude who was trying to steal the bike, not the guys that beat him up. And that was one of those forms of like frontier justice that was very satisfying to see where it's like, ah, I'm glad to know that there's still at least like a place in the world that, it, that like people value other people's property and that you can get hit for trying to, to, for, to, to take it. <laughs> and I think, though, that if you if we're in this idea of like if you don't have a so much a state, but then you would rely on a society to enforce our our standards and our values on it. I do think that you would start to get that tighter correlation of what you're talking about because right you said you use this ridiculous example of the of the horse um law. But then there's also a lot of things that that we're dealing with this in the modern rendition of politics in America in 2023 is that sometimes bad behavior isn't criminal. And there's no legal recourse for bad behavior. And we see this in all of like these in all of like these Donald Trump file uh, lawsuits and just like there's all of this political nonsense going on in the background. And a lot of times it boils down to it's like, oh, you just don't like the way that this person behaved and you want to try to criminalize it, even though that they have not broken any law. And I think that in this idea that we're trying to explore maybe those two would get a lot closer where it's like, well, yeah, sure. Maybe he didn't break a law, but he's a shitty person. And there should be a way to address this as a society versus just like throwing our hands up. Like, Oh, we didn't break a law. Can't do anything. I like the way you put that because there is that aspect of like, Oh, what are we advocating for cancel culture after we've talked all this shit about free speech over here on our site? (laughs) Right. It's like, no, that's not the point. The point is that a lot of those cancel culture Things they're trying to like dox people or go to their employment to get them fired rather than having like society as a whole. Like, hey, do we as a society think this behavior is so bad that we shouldn't, you know, if if everybody thought uh, Chris Pratt did something horrible, uh, just to pick a name out. I I think Chris Pratt's probably the safest name to pick as a good little Christian boy as he is. Uh, (laughs) But if he did something horrific that we saw irredeemable, stop going to his movies. They'll stop hiring him. 
don't call the studio, raise so much hell, threaten to go to the studio boss's house and then have him fire Chris Pratt because the heat's got too much on him. And even to a further extent, when you are advocating for laws to be put in place, that you want to make something criminal that you don't agree with just as a, a politeness of society. It's like, man, wouldn't the reason they are angling for making it a criminal behavior is because deep down in their heart, they know society is not going to shut this behavior because there are enough people in society that go, no, I don't have a problem with that. What are you talking about? Why would you kick somebody out of, of polite society and not let them have a banking record because they think X, Y, or Z that is against your political view. Uh, and that the reason they probably are driven to push for that to become illegal is because they know that's the truth. And the only way for them to punish that person is to have this legal uh, loopholes, the opposite of what I'm looking for, but this, this <laughs> stigma of like, well, you did the illegal thing. So now you're arrested, even though the majority of society might agree with you or say that that isn't in fact a, a criminal or even a, uh, morally incorrect way to behave yeah and that is and i think that in a in this attempt to get to a stateless society you would start to see those things get a lot closer and i think that there's a way though even in the modern rendition of it that um i think there's something that it's like and says the person that avoids jury duty like the plague i mean i <laughs> i won't <laughs> but there's also there's like that that potential exists even in society today where if somebody is brought before a jury we could just you jury could nullify it They're like ah we don't think that that's actually that big of a deal right. not guilty we've talked about that on this show before of like i think that's part of the responsibility of a juror and what we should consider when we go into a jury and i think too many people don't understand that concept and they're more just pursing out the bureaucracy of what the law says um but yeah i think that's an important aspect of our legal system that people overlook is that hey Part of the reason we have a jury here is that you can look at this and go like, yeah, this isn't malicious or detrimental behavior to society that maybe this laws laws incorrect in this moment. And I think that's another potential benefit to allowing kind of public shaming in society to carry out those executive functions is that you can take into consideration more nuance. If the law is you shouldn't steal a bike and you go to jail for five days, well, that you know, or or whatever the case, you you have to pay an X amount of fine for stealing a bike. You have to pay back the the amount of money the bike was worth to the owner, uh, plus the amount of days it was missing, and spend a certain amount of day in a detention center. Uh, that makes sense if you're from Texas and you stole my skis out of my garage per se. But what if you take those skis from that kid who's just paid four hundred dollars for them to have a good pair so that he could pursue his career uh, as a ski patrol and and whatever he wants to do on that mountain ultimately and now you've taken a bit of his livelihood away or you took a huge took a change it's different depending on who you are your financial state your geographical location on and on and on it's a dick move to steal my skis as a texan it is detrimental to the livelihood of matthew billingsley to steal his skis as somebody who was uh at least at one point in time on ski patrol i guess you don't make your money that way anyhow anymore but i don't but <laughs> you know one, once that. upon a time you would have gutted like a way for me to make money and also, mm -hmm. also, you have taken like one of the few things in life I actually enjoy, um, which is a crime, <laughs> which is a deep crime that needs to be weighted on its own, you know, merit as well. <laughs> right. But you see what I'm saying in that, that, that if the community is responsible for carrying out the punishment for that person, they're going to understand the weight of the action that person took upon you much better than somebody who's like, what he stole some rich kid's skis right what are we talking about here skis are a recreational sport that's not a big deal 
It's not like stealing a horse. Exactly. And I think that's, <laughs> I think you kind of nailed it right there where it starts to get into the, like a community gets to decide what values are important for the community. And if we're taking this to then its natural extension of in this stateless world where somehow we've solved all of the issues that would come uh, about with, <laughs> with the stateless world, that then at that point, voluntary association would really start to reign supreme, where you could then align yourself in communities that would start to sh- start to share similar moral leanings and the similar values as you, because you might go into a community and they say, we don't care about that. Like, we just don't care. Mm-hmm. And then, so then at that point, you can go choose to find another place that does value that. And and that's the cool thing is that you would have this very localized idea of what, what morals are, what values are and the justice that would come if you broke those, because I think that you would start to also see a consensus in yet you would start to see consensus in, in the morality side of it. But I think that you would also start to see consensus on the punishment side of it. What is an acceptable offense? Like, or not, not an acceptable offense, but what is an offense that needs to be rehabilitated? What is an offense that we cast you out back to this idea? Like you are now a man of the forest. You've been ostracized. Like you have done something that our community thinks is so heinous, so vile that you are no longer not only welcome here, but if you come back, we might kill you for it. And it's, right. a, and it's, a, and it starts to get into this really interesting um, manifestation of what's important because at that point it's not a top-down organization. You don't have a, a set of codified laws being passed down from a federal level. You would have morals and values implemented from a bottom up level, if that makes sense. Right. Right. And you know, of course it has its set of problems as well. I mean, we have uh, the Salem witch trials is a great example of that where people are uh, going around and picking out which witches they want to burn at the stake. And there's, right. there certainly is a, and I, I think that also kind of comes with that. Uh, one of the ingredients in the cake that we're baking of, of voluntary society is a certain amount of sophistication of the people making up that society that you do have to be kind of educated to a certain level. You need a certain amount of uh, access to knowledge. Like there are some precursors that we understand. We don't necessarily think stateless society was available to us or a possibility uh, in the medieval times as it might be uh, today as we have grown and, and gotten technology such as the internet to have these conversations. <laughs> right. Uh, I think too, in that same note, um, you know, who is it to say that we are always correct in our moral stance? Um, I think that that's a, a big part of what we as libertarians believe. We kind of have this idea of world, ideal world where people get to have their own different types of cultures and societies. You know, a weird, some people might call it diversity where people get to make their own decisions based on what they believe rather than what somebody in Washington, D.C. believes. Um, but I think people have the right to do that. You know, I don't give a shit about somebody jaywalking. I would never yell at somebody because they cross the street in the middle of the street when there's no traffic coming. Um, though I might scream at somebody who jumps out into traffic and makes cars stop and honk and, and swerve around them because that's somebody who in my mind is being detrimental to society and to the flow of traffic around me. But there are communities out there that absolutely want everybody to follow the speed limit and absolutely do not want people jaywalking. And if you can find an entire town of people that want to live together, that want to enforce that, you see them all the time. People have HOAs where even that is not completely voluntary because some people want to buy a house and it is what it is in the community and you get roped into one of those nightmares. But a large part of that too is (laughs) people (laughs) want to be a part of it and they want to live in a community that is 
you know, I might say castrated to somebody who values my seat freedom, but that is uh, pasteurized. Others would say structured. Patterned. Structured is a great word for it if you're a, a homo. Uh, <laughs> but they have the right to live in that society. It's not just my rule. There is no baseline of, of objective moral behavior. I think there's some things we can all agree on as moral behavior and immoral behavior, but there are, there are a lot of gray areas in there that I think we as humans get to pontificate upon and decide what's right ourselves. Yeah. And I think the jaywalking example is a really good one because it, it gets us into this interesting line of context matters because jaywalking is a criminal offense and interesting side note, it was criminalized after insurance companies lobbied for the creation to remove liability from them and automakers, uh, uh, you know, auto, um, automotive uh, manufacturers um, and put it on the individual because there was like, you know, as cars get more popular, people were walking down the street, you get hit. It was it was on the driver. But then that's when they lobbied to get jaywalking as a law. But that's that's like besides Did the you point. know that at one point in time, the state of Ohio only had two registered vehicles and that they wrecked into each other. <laughs> it's one of my favorite, like learning how to drive. <laughs> we as a society were figuring it's out a, a new technology. Like we you have, literally have like the entire that. state. <laughs> and you guys can't hit each other <laughs> you both get, guys both hit each other head on in downtown ohio columbus ohio <laughs> right it's like whatever whatever towns so i know they have east palestine but that's not even a town anymore think, <laughs> i know that one <laughs> i'm trying to think is, yeah i guess columbus what do they have there cleveland cleveland's there <laughs> i didn't cleveland's think about, one. i didn't even think it was like ohio a real place uh <laughs> let's see the football hall of fame is in canton ohio so i know that um, one Gotcha, LeBron came from Akron. Oh, dude, look at us. We're just... Hey, look, we, we were faster in our WNBA game on that one. <laughs> Way faster. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it's interesting about the nuance of this is that now it becomes very it becomes very situational where somebody just walking across the street isn't a problem when there's no traffic. Somebody who's jumping out in front of street that's now causing a danger to themselves and others now does become a problem. And I think that's where this interesting concept of a community getting to police itself, so to speak, would right. really take hold because who cares? Like no harm, no foul, but you can't just, you know, and then in the situation where, you know, little, little, little Billy jumps out in front of the car because he's not paying attention and somebody swerves and now hits a parked car. And all of a sudden we've got thousands of dollars of insurance claims and damages all because you're a reckless little shit. You know, that's where we start to where we probably start to shame the parents first and foremost for leaving your shit unattended and not teaching it that cars and roads need to be treated with respect. But that is essentially what we're talking about is that there's ways right. that you would go to correct behavior in a community that doesn't necessarily jump to just like, oh, that's illegal, that's criminal, let's throw them into the justice system and process them accordingly. That there is a way to correct behavior based on a set of, you know, agreed upon standards and morals that you can get the out the desired outcome. And there's a lot of psychology in this <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And with that nuance too, like you, we all can understand pretty easily. I don't think it's a complex concept to understand that there are different uh, severities of crimes based on who somebody is, when what they're doing. When we said kind of the ski analogy or the uh, the time of a, a horse in Texas, um, but that nuance gets lost and at least gets blurred when you have an enforcement agent of the state, because that person then is now reading 
text out of a book that says it is illegal to jaywalk. So when they see somebody jaywalk across the street, their training kicks in and they go, I need to give that person a ticket for jaywalking because that's what it says here in this textbook is that that is illegal. There isn't a, a section in there that is about the nuance of when it's appropriate to break the law because it doesn't matter and it's irrelevant. There's zero people on the street. So jaywalking in this instance serves uh, no, no purpose to enforce because they simply have read this. Now that especially can get blurred when there are things like quotas or, or the perception of a problem that generates funding for your department. Uh, these are things that, you know, one day we cover that all the time on this podcast. When you give an agency an incentive through tax money, then they are going to find a lot of problems that only that agency can solve because that's how they make their dough. Yeah, which we covered a little bit, even the nuance of what Logan just said in the last episode where we dive into um, qualified immunity and looking at, okay, like what is an officer's obligation to know what is constitutional, what is not. And this takes it to the next level of like, not even what is constitutional and what is not, but it's just like, what is appropriate to enforce and what is not. And I know the officers do have discretion. Of course they do. Um, there's, I've yet to find a job that people don't have. I, I'm, I know that there's jobs where people don't have discretion whatsoever, but, but, but a cop is not one. Cops do have discretion. They'll tell you that personally. They'll like, oh, well, yeah. It's like, if you're being a jackass, I'm probably going to, you know, give you a ticket for that. But if you're a nice person and you're understanding about why I pulled you over for doing, I don't know, 15 over in this zone, there's I'm a going to give you a ticket because I have a quota to meet, but yeah, I'm going to be fair. nice. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And so, you know, sometimes you might get off because who knows, maybe it's the end of the month and they've already hit their quota and they don't care anymore. You never, <laughs> you never know, but in, uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> All right, so let's dive a little deeper here. Let's let's talk about Scorgamores and kind of the tradition of where they come from, uh, just because I find it fascinating. And I thought it'd be fun to share with you guys today as one of my favorite concepts. Um, so essentially, like I said earlier, there is no executive branch in Viking society. Uh, they don't have police. They don't have uh, uh, an executioner. So they don't have a, a death penalty for crimes that they would consider worthy of something that's severe, essentially. Um, so what they had instead was this Scorgamore concept. So uh, some of the crimes that they saw punishable would include, you know, murder, rape, kidnapping. So you can see the pattern of this list. It's all kind of things we completely understand as society as being wrong and, and being worthy of potentially putting somebody to death. Uh, the use of malevolent sorcery, uh, highway robbery. <laughs> uh, Which, they had a concept called Neath. <laughs> well, I, I guess, though, that's like malevolent sorcery. If I have no idea what that would mean in that context, <laughs> like uh, that they, but it also makes you wonder is like, if would it, would it fall under this weird use of, uh, of plants and, um, elements to make people sick, mm. you know, where it's like, it's almost I like, I didn't even a, think about that. It's manipulation of, it's, it's manipulation of, uh, earth elements in the pursuit of harming another person. So it's like you didn't kill them. But you certainly made him sick and you tried to kill him. I wonder if that's like what malevolent sorcery is versus just like, like uh, oh, they tried putting to X-lax in the teacher's coffee pot is malevolent <laughs> so, yeah. sorcery in the common era. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> that's a really good point because, I mean, obviously we've had a lot of human history where we've conflated magic with sorcery because we don't understand. We don't understand medicine. It's magic until we right. understand it. At that point, a lot of technologies. Yeah. What is that I, quote? If you if you sufficiently accelerate any technology far enough, it becomes indiscernible with magic. Now that's also fair. 
it makes a lot of sense. And so I just wonder, because I've been chewing on what malevolent sorcery actually <laughs> is, because it seems like it's, and, or it could be as simple as just like, oh, we caught you trying to, you know, put a spell on somebody. And I'm, we don't I'm like, sure there's a little bit of that. And we don't like spells either. So <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of A, a little bit of B. I do like that thought, though. That is definitely something that didn't pop into my head that, you know, poisoning somebody was probably considered sorcery at that period of time when this was. Uh, referring to so that makes perfect sense and the last one was this uh concept uh roughly pronounced neath which was n i o with a squiggly norse line over it that i don't know what it's called uh and that was described as a ritual curse that often involved the accusation of extreme sexual depravity uh so that one i like that's kind of like suck my dick <laughs> basically uh, you curse somebody hope you get <laughs> hope you get bent by a horse or you know <laughs> any of those right. that that feels like uh, that would fall underneath <laughs> anything that would make a, a nice viking lady grasp her pearls <laughs> with a sexual connotation <laughs> is something punishable so you can see but again that that kind of comes back into this concept of like you're now being policed by the morality of your time and the understanding of the people around you mm. um that at that time if you were a dirty witch they needed to kill you for it they thought and that's <laughs> what polite society believed so if you were practicing malevolent sorcery they put you to the stake for it i think that's also obviously i'm being a little tongue-in-cheek that's also a good example of how this can go wrong as a concept because uh you can have mass hysteria or uh the ferverment of the mob justice going in and hanging the wrong person simply because some young black man was accused by a white woman of sexually assaulting her Right. And I know that we, and this, cause this is an episode on like vigilantism, which we've done in the past, but that is something to keep in mind too, that these aren't perfect, uh, that these aren't perfect systems. And even if we advocate like this, this, uh, you know, this stateless society that, that we like to dream about isn't going to remove the very real issues that come with just human nature and human nature of any institution. And in this regard, I know that a lot of people in this sphere have like this gross reaction to the word institution, but it, at the same time, that is exactly what you would have. You would have your institution of your town and this institution would be made up of people and their beliefs and how we choose to enforce and act on those beliefs. And that is the extreme side of it that just because we value this as um as a as a moral i don't know stand uh, what's the right because i want to use value twice but if we uphold this as a value because now you because now you get like burning witches at the stake and that's that's the extreme too of this where it's like yeah. well maybe that's but hey it's important perfect. to say that too it 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 can go wrong it can be applied incorrectly but the thing is it's going to be applied by somebody so if you're taking it out of the hands of society overall, you're giving it to a greater authority. You're saying, well, the people who are smarter and more apt than me, the uh, the kings of our time, the oligarchical class, whatever it is, they should get to decide what morality is. They should get to decide what's right rather than me. So I think that's always, an, and that's sure. you know, something we push up against a lot in this space of as liberty-loving people is we're not arguing against our concept against nothing. We're arguing our concept against the current concept. And the current concept is just giving that to some rich uh oligarchical pharmaceutical company CEO tech company guru <laughs> who's going to decide how you live your life the bottom so is that better than your neighbors or is that worse than your neighbors I would say it's a little scary in my book 
Yeah. And there's also a very interesting when you get into like statistics and which I just, I hated that class in college. I hated statistics so much. Um, but there's also the very interesting concept that uh, was discussed. And I've also seen it applied outside of just like the classroom. Um, it's the wisdom of crowds. And I know that there's this natural reaction, like jar, like how oh, you can't trust democracy, the mob, blah, blah, blah. Um, but at the same time, there is something to be said about how average people can usually come up to a reasonable decision on things. And it's not to, because I know that there's a million externalities that you could add to that s- subject that would corrupt the data. But if you're just trying to figure out like, how many stop signs are there in my town? And you asked a hundred people, What's interesting about that is you would start to get you would get a relatively like can you would get, you would get close to a consensus and consensus and everything, but you would come to a a close answer that's usually more close to accurate than it's not. And I think that that's where you could lean on something in this regards that, yes, of course, because there will be a million externalities acting on it. But if you wanted to just hope on the wisdom of the crowd to decide was that jaywalking an offense that we need to publicly put this person in the stockades and throw rotten vegetables at him or is it not i think that you know i guess in this perfect world of statistics or, uh, how about, uh, you would i think bill cosby is the most prolific rapist in american history and should we throw him out of polite society for it the crowd in america seems like they would say absolutely we should remove that person from society the executive branch within our society said uh, because he testified once before in another trial, he now has double jeopardy. and We can't prosecute him because even though we know he raped 30, over 30 women. Yeah. Like that, you know, that's the other thing you get in with that executive branch is there's when a bureaucracy runs things, there are hiccups and loopholes and bureaucracies that I guess exploited by complete pieces of garbage. I, I guess this is just a, this is just a nuanced nitpicking. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to be this person, but are we not talking about like the judicial branch? More specifically than the executive branch, if we're dealing with the judicial laws. branch, would be would be uh, in the court uh, charge of right, but the actual punishment of the law is the executive branch. Okay, technically, copy. All right, cool. Nope, as see, well as that's, the police. Okay, no, nope, that's uh, huh, fair enough. Fair enough. Moving on, <laughs> glossing over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so kind of back to our history of Scorgamores here, um, because they didn't have this. Uh, executing person within their society because they didn't have a uh that form of law yet um they would rather determine you are an outlaw which is i believe the origin of the word outlaw and at this point in time like now outlaw just means you did something outside of the law at this point in time it literally meant you are no longer within the law uh, which is another way of saying you no longer have rights all of your property is confiscated and uh, you can be lawfully killed or treated any way you want. There is no law protecting you anymore. So if you are one of these Scorgamores and you come into the vid, and you are kind of, a, I think, allowed to like walk into any village you want, but that village you can be like, your own oh, it's one of those Scorgamores. Let's take his pants. And you're not allowed to have any legal recourse for it because you're no longer a human. Uh, they had other words for Scorgamore, you know, of course, it means man of the forest, but it could also mean like uh, they had terms like wolf. They called them wolves. Uh, there was a lot of articles I read where like people come in and they're like, we saw some men outside of the village. What was that about? And the Scandinavian people at the time don't even say they're outlaws. They say, oh, those aren't men. They're not people. Don't interact with them. Don't don't be part of them. And like there is almost a confusing kind of language barrier thing that some of these people who travel to Scandinavia were talking about. They're like, they look just like men, but these people swear to God they're not men and that they're dangerous if we interact with them. So we didn't interact with them. 
So there's some kind of monsters living in the forest, but that's kind of like how serious they t- took this. Like, no, no, that person is no longer a person. We have that's not a person. Unpersoned. Yeah, yeah. That's not, that. Yeah, you're not dealing that. That's not a person anymore. And it has a and that that type of implication is radical. And it's if you start to think because this is we live in you know uh, we live in this age where um, we have a lot of these natural rights that have been recognized by institutions for better or for worse of those institutions blah 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 glossing over all of that we also live in this world now where the idea of what a right is is being pushed to the extreme and now privileges and certain um, opportunities are now being called rights and so but then. If you take that just like your natural rights, right, that I have the right not to be murdered today, that I have the right not to have my property stolen, that I have the right not to be accosted for my ideas and beliefs. If you take those away, that's who you're not a person anymore. You're just. Yeah. uh, yeah. (laughs) And and it's a and but it. And it's something easy to just gloss over, but to understand the actual implications of having your because. There are examples that we can pull from even today. If you're a felon and you get out of jail, you don't, you cannot bear arms. You cannot vote, right? You've had certain rights that we have decided to, to enumerate the to to put in or not, not the to enumerate, not enumerated, but to actually put down in, in the constitution and say that you have a right to this thing. You lose those, but then to be like, Oh, well, doesn't matter if oh it's, i don't care that they took your pants and then raped you Does, you're not a person doesn't yeah, matter you're a, you're a forest man you're an animal <laughs> you're an animal <laughs> it's just wild and this is a and this may be a part of like social engineering as well i i, I fully believe and and uh buy into those arguments that like the way our economy works influences the way we spend and save money. And that that's a big part of why we all are all in a, a bad spot here in America this day is because it has not uh, been a system that is, has influenced or benefited savers, but rather only people who invest or people who speculate, especially um, in the same way. This is, this is a time when being a score more was a lot more dangerous than it probably would be if we implemented it tomorrow mm-hmm. because we're soft. It's been a long time since, you know, I have never taken a battle axe and lopped somebody's head off with it. A lot of these Viking guys had done that every other summer as a little retreat to go get uh, crops in the winter, you know, <laughs> to get extra resources when the crops aren't growing in the winter. That's what they did is they went down south on a summer vacation and lopped heads off and and uh, unfortunately raped a lot of women. Uh, <laughs> that was another thing we came up in show notes was uh, I remember reading uh, about the the Saxons invading uh, England and Ireland back in the day. And there's all these manuscripts of them talking about the red haired invaders. And you, you forget at one point in time, like, Oh yeah, that was a, that was a gene that was introduced to the Irish people uh, from an, a Northern source originally <laughs> that the redheads came from outside the country and did a pretty good job of uh, propagating their gene, propagating their genes within the country. Yeah. It's history's brutal at the end of the day. And it's like, and I think we forget that we live in a very like benign time, despite all of the, the ills and woes of our society um we still live in like a very very peaceful time because most of human history is not peaceful and it's not proper and it's not uh and it's not safe (laughs) in any way shape or form but it is interesting though because it starts to get us into this into this area where you know like uh revenge based kill or like honor based revenge killings or mm-hmm. uh i'm seeking re- redress for this particular crime against my family where 
now it's up to the individual instead of the state to actually pursue justice. And it's just a and it's just a very interesting concept to dive into because we as modern people, we have handed over the role of punishment to the state. That's one of those trade-offs mm-hmm. that that we've we've agreed or not agreed in the social contract of today that instead of I, instead of me the individual being able to punish and seek justice i now have to tr- turn this person over to a legal system and the legal system will exact vengeance or justice on my behalf but in this society right. well it's like and in a very standardized way and they have a like we said earlier they mm-hmm. read a textbook this is the crime this is the punishment this is what the precedent of the the court has made in the past. And I think there are a lot of good strides courts have made in the past. I think overall, the court system in this country functions reasonably well, all things considered. Um, But we still kind of lose that nuance and that uh, exact revenge. You know, what is revenge? Does it it really sit with you that the state threw a guy into prison for 25 years as appropriate revenge? Um, the analogy I kind of jotted down is like, think of a, a man who committed a heinous crime against a young girl. He, he raped and murdered a young girl. Uh, the evidence is mounted against him. The jury affirms it, that he is uh, sentenced guilty and they put him in jail for 25 to life. Um, but what if you're that girl's father? What if you're her older brother? What if that's somebody that's directly a part of your life? Do you think 25 to life is appropriate? Do you think that that is a harsh enough punishment for somebody who ended that little girl's life and not only ended it, but made her go through one of the most horrific things a human person can go through before he ended that life. Um, I think it's it's something I ponder a lot. Like if you have somebody and that father comes to you and says, or that family comes to you and says, no, we want to exact revenge on this person, hand him over to us. You've deemed him guilty. Why is it that we do not get to exact our revenge and decide what the appropriate punishment is? It's hard to look into the eyes of those people who are, are, crying for revenge and then say, no, you're not allowed to have that. It's, it's just a, and I don't, I'm not claiming to have an answer as to what's correct, even on this episode today, sure. but that's just something I ponder a lot. I'm like, what is the right moral way to go with that? Yeah. And it's, that is a, that's a very profound question on the idea of justice. Like what is justice? Because justice is different than revenge. Um, in a lot of ways, sometimes they you might be able to merge the two together, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, justice is one thing, revenge might be another. What is the proper course for it? And I think that that's it's one of those things where, in the back of my mind, as we were prepping this episode, you can take we can take these extreme examples and then we can work back from them to help kind of establish what are the parameters in which we might interact with in in this kind of rebuilding exercise of the world that we might want to live in one day. And it's it's very hard, though, because it leads you to all of these really interesting gray areas where it's like, okay, well, is it better to leave this person over? Because yes, that particular crime is absolutely heinous. But what if the family in the pursuit of justice does something that if it was exposed, we all go like, oh, man, well, the guy deserved to die. But damn, like that was that was that was bad. You know, it's like and where do we start to find that line? And do we get to then brush over that? And it's like, oh, well, the guy got to what he deserved. Um, you, it, But it brings you to this really interesting moral gray area where now if if the law, if exacting justice is in our hands, 
what are the what are the implications of that itself? And and then it's the, and then but back to your example though of like twenty five to life because we look at that and you almost say like, did he did he get off easy? I mean, yeah. So it's like I I now have to pay taxes. This person now, granted, it's like prison isn't this lovely like three hots in a cot that a lot of people when when you search it's like sometimes like conservatives talk about jail and it's like oh it's just like this nice three hots in a cot and <laughs> it's not it's like I can't imagine that prison is a nice place never been to jail never been arrested I I actively try to avoid cops as a rule so I don't get arrested and have to go to jail um but there's but it's not like it's a great place to go but then it makes you wonder too about is did they get off too easy and then should instead of the consequences of that being um 25 to life or whatever it's like should we just should we just publicly lop off their dick and i know that that like i know for a lot of people that's that's a very like vulgar concept but instead of like locking somebody up in this weird institution should the point like should we just pivot to a very hard line form of punishment and do it publicly so then at that point it's like well if you're convicted of this crime we just bring you to the town square and we cut off your dick and we put it in the box of other dicks that men couldn't handle properly <laughs> and, and, and it's this and i know that it's like it, it's kind of funny. i don't think a box is a good concept they're gonna uh start rotting at some point i think a pickle jar might be appropriate <laughs> oh, <John. laughs> oh it hits on so many different levels the pickle jar <laughs> We'll play. Jar of shame. <laughs> we'll, we'll play and i think but it's just that's that's a it's an interesting thought experiment to to go down because when we talk about this idea of like public shaming or banishment or bullying or whatever we want to call it there's got to be an end goal because the action for the sake of the action isn't ever that's not enough right what is the point of this punishment why why are we why do we take somebody and throw them in the stockades and let villagers throw rotten vegetables at them for four hours as a punishment like what is the end result that we're actually trying to get versus just like oh yeah let's just, you know just punish them and i think that's just trying to end you know just <laughs> I'm trying to think about that. I'm trying to think about this a little bit deeper than yeah, in the what is surface the level of it. And I think that's especially uh, a potent thought when you're talking about things like pedophilia and school shootings is a huge one for me that kind of pops up in that where what is a, a school shooter goes into shooting a school, probably knowing they're going to die more. If they're sound of mind, they understand they're committing suicide basically that day by cop. Uh, if not, I guess more often they end up shooting themselves because our cops stand outside of the buildings like listless douchebags. Mm -hmm. I want to say something meaner there, and I held myself back. But it was, uh, it's what am I getting? <laughs> Sorry, I lost my train of thought because I tried not to say a, a slur that I uh, came <laughs> into my head. That <laughs> That's okay. Gather gather yourself from your self control. Gather myself. Don't don't say that that thing you were gonna say. Um. But yeah, it, it gives this this ability to have that that nuance and to understand what the end goal is of this punishment to a kid that goes in knowing he's going to essentially be forfeiting his life to inflict this pain upon society in the form of a school shooting is not deterred by you telling everybody what his name is, showing everybody where you can go read his manifesto online uh, and then giving him the death penalty. 
that's fine. In fact, that's the probably the perfect outcome for him. That's what he wanted was notoriety and for people to ultimately to understand his plight or his viewpoint. Uh, but at least to get him to read it is going to be a pretty big win in his book, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we're we're not deterring the crime with the punishment. Whereas if you take that guy and you publicly lop his dick off, as Matthew so eloquently put earlier, uh, and you put it in the pickle jar of shame, and then you make him live as a Castrano and sing uh, from behind bars for the rest of his life, that's a pretty humiliating way to go out. It's a pretty rough way. Uh, there's something to that that shame. We've said that in past episodes, too, of like uh, the concept of like, if you're going to report on a shooter, you should never show their face. You should never say their name. All you should talk about is the weird correlation of how small every school shooter's penis is. So that school shooters in the future are like, I don't know. When I think my penis is small, like why would I come out and do that? <laughs> but yeah, there's there's definitely something to that concept of like maybe the harsher reality. And I think you know if if you're if it's not a big enough deterrent of you not to rape somebody, that the repercussions of the legal system are. I bet if you see stories of families that flay human beings alive for raping their daughters you're going to be a little bit worried about that family getting their hands on you if you did something horrific to their child like that. Yeah, and I think that that's that's a really interesting concept of it, especially if you do it. And I know that there's like the difference of like, is it done in private? Is it done in public? But just sticking to the spirit of this episode, that if the consequence for that crime, um, and I think that just to be fair, that you would really need to vet this because the last thing you ever want to do would be to flay somebody that was innocent of the crime because now we're it's it's the new lynching at that point mm-hmm. like now we're just right back to the same old space to where a hundred years in the future people look at us and like wow that was terrible that 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 guy just got flayed on a single accusation and there was no due justice that was ever rendered to him, you know, and I think that 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 just needs to be said. But if if all of the proper if all the proper channels were going and, and guilt was officially established, then it, it may. And I know that this is a very barbaric and kind of like macabre conversation. And I think it all probably because my dad owns a funeral home and I've grown up around death my entire life. So I think these type of conversations don't bug me all that much. Um, just my association with it. But if you think about the idea of the public spectacle or the public execution, it really does start to drive home this difference of why you want to try to deter a certain behavior. Because like Logan said, for some people that might not be a deterrent at all because there's the the legal ramifications for certain crimes are already established and it does not deter people from doing them so then do in this world that we're exploring do you need to then step up the severity for said crime where if now if you're convicted of raping somebody not only do we eloquently chop off your dick and put it in the pickle jar um but then you also get drugged to the town square and you're flayed or there's some sort of like horrendous punishment exacted and the entire community gets to come and watch that. I mean, one, I'm sure you're not particularly worried about the shame because the pain is absolutely (laughs) (laughs) occupying your mind, but then it does, then it makes you wonder about what's being reinforced in the crowd. And there's a very, but that itself is a slippery slope that I acknowledge that you, maybe you don't want to go out and doing all of these terrible public spectacles um, because the 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 unknown detrimental effects 
of subjecting a town of watching something like that because I don't know because uh, I, I think that also to Logan's could point certainly have a hardening effect in society we, it could make people are, become a little too comfortable with violence exactly and that's the that's the flip side of that is that we are soft as people because when we don't have public executions and i can't even remember the last time that there's a like an actual public execution in this country not like a not an impromptu lynching or anything like that but like a state sanctioned public execution i don't know that but i know that they have definitely faded in at least western society over the over the course but uh, dan carlin has a really good book uh um or a really good podcast uh painfutainment is the episode where he looks at the idea of like public executions and where it goes from like the Roman death plays to the idea of public executions in like the terror of the, uh, of the French revolution and how it was almost like a, it was a gathering moment for communities. Like, Oh, we're, they're going to go, they're going to execute that murderer. Come on kids. So we got to go get a good seat, you know? And, and, and it, it gives the opportunity for these lessons like, well, this is why we don't do this, because as you see, that man's about to get his head lopped off by the guillotine and stuff like that. And it's just a lot of just fascinating things to talk about, I guess. And I do think, too, I, I mean, there's something, of course, there's a huge deterrent in seeing something horrific happen to somebody for committing a crime that would make you want to want to not do so. And you do eventually run up against the lines of like cruel and unusual punishment, of course. Sure. Um but I, I think it's not to be undermined the effects of the social aspect of it. Um, we are social animals. We are monkeys that grew up in tribes that have to have our, our other monkeys around us in order to be happy. I mean, it's well documented how people fall apart in solitary confinement. People lose their minds when put in solitary confinement in prison, become completely different people. Um, people go feral. We have ca cases of people who get lost and aren't human when we find them again, you know, or at least not able to integrate into polite society. Right. Um, it is profoundly impactful on your brain to not be accepted by society. Um, I guess I'm, and we'll kind of end the history section here and kind of get a little more into public shaming. Um, but Stephen Brink is a Norse scholar and he described it as a social death. Um, and the quote goes, when we try to understand every society in Scandinavia, it is obvious that it does uh, deceit, excuse me, that it was decisive for an individual to be part of a family or social group. You were in a way identified by the affiliation to your family, a group and a society. The worst punishment that thus, uh, excuse me, I'm struggling today. The worst punishment you could thus get was to be cut off from the group and society to be excommunicated or outlawed, which has been described as a social death. In other words, we can see that the other that the forefathers, for another concept of freedom, excuse me, I'm skipping lines now, that our forefathers had a, another concept of our freedom than we have, that freedom was not defined as an individual freedom, but as the right to belong to a fellowship, to be part of a social group. The stranger was often considered an enemy. So this is kind of just a look into the the Norse society and kind of the the impact it had on that. But I don't think that there are no parallels to that into society today. To be excommunicated from society and to be pulled away from it is extremely detrimental to our psyche and is, I think, a, a much stronger deterrent than most people realize. Now, maybe that's not true for, like, say, this school shooter. Once somebody's that far gone, that's somebody who's potentially been excised from society already. And that's probably why they're in that position where they want to do that thing. But there is still this this stigma in, in the perception they get after that is something that can drive those choices, I think, in my mind.
Yeah, the um, I heard it put this way that if you told if you were told that um, you weren't able to communicate with anybody for three hours, we would consider it like such a relief. Like, oh, my God, I don't have to talk to anybody for three hours. And on three days, we would start to think that about that a little differently. You know, I might you might be able to enjoy those three days. You might start that might be the turning point to say that you don't get to talk to anybody for three weeks, three months, three years. Now, all of a sudden, what in short term in our modern society is such a relief that I don't have to talk to anybody for three hours, then becomes one of the worst punishments that you could ever imagine. And I think that there's there's so much about this that's ingrained in our psychology, but it's also ingrained in ourselves, too. Because there, there's this really interesting concept that cells are told to continue to do their job and to function properly based on input of other cells around them. And when you remove a single cell, it dies. There's no, because there's no, I don't have any input. What's my purpose? And that the purpose of the cell is derived from the input from all of the other things around that. That's ingrained in our bio, in our biology to a very like based fundamental level. And but we also function the same way because there are the extremes. And I think that, like I said, we can deal with the extremes because they're interesting and fun in theory. But most those same people are such a weird segment of society that a lot of things aren't going to apply to them. But your average person is highly motivated by fitting in into a group your average person you know just i would say like 90 probably 98 percent of the human population strives to fit in in some sort of way whether it be in their work culture whether it be in their community whether it be in their town in their family whatever social organizations they have around them we strive to be a part of something and it and this idea of shame to correct our behavior especially ostracization is an extremely powerful motivator for your average person because I can't think of it's one of those things like man if I if nobody could call me for 24 hours my phone didn't work I'd love it I'd love a day <laughs> of just like I there's no outside world oh day three mm, I'm starting it's to okay, get antsy sketchy. I'm starting to <laughs> definitely, memes. I'm definitely starting to get itchy a week I would start to break down as a person. And I know that because, and it's not even like, oh, I, I, I'm striving because here's the thing. I don't particularly like people. I only hang out with a very, very small group of people, but I love the people that I hang out with and I value their friendship and my relationships and interactions with them. And if I didn't have that, I'd go and I'd go insane. Insane. Now I have to interact with the normies and the NPCs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about. It. I mean, I, I like to think of myself as a, an individual thinker. Obviously, that's that's kind of what this whole show is about. Is how we are individuals and we don't go with the the crowd. I mean, we name this thing against the mob. Um, however, I still have those people pleasing tendencies within me. I still have a need to fit in. Right. I want to, and in fact, even when I'm being contradictory. It's in a manner that I want to convince you that I'm contradictory because I'm smarter and ultimately you should have the same opinion I have. It's not that I'm just walking away from it and going, fuck what those people think. I'm going right. to do my own thing. I still have a need for you. I just understand that it's dumb and I want you to have the same opinion for me. I mean, even think about like the vast majority of this country for its entire history has been a strong Christian. There are atheists in the society. 
those atheists, I imagine, see themselves as pretty strong individuals, right? They see themselves as, as free thinkers and not of this silly thing that they're part of this large uh, religious oligarchical system that we have here. They've they've seen through that. And what did they do? They formed the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan. And the, they literally formed their own fucking churches to fit in with each other because they wanted to have those in groups. It's this <laughs> innate thing in us, man. We need to be part of a tribe or it drives us nuts. Yeah. And and I think that that's really what's what's most fascinating about this conversation is that in the extremes, it probably doesn't matter. But for everyone else, public shaming is probably a very effective tool. I'm not saying it's a good tool. I'm not saying that it's a that, that it's a moral tool. I'm saying that it's probably an effective tool because those are not those 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 terms are not all one to one and you can't just equate one with the other in terms of like goodness and and outcome and all of those things. but it is so fascinating to think about how we have removed this kind of public square for the shaming. And then it came back in such a full force with the internet, which might be, yeah, I mean, that might not be completely what we're trying to talk about right now, but it's, it's just so, it's so interesting <laughs> that, um, that, that this idea of shaming though would give us, I think that it gives us the ability to have almost immediate input into the society that we live in and reflect what is important to us. Okay, so you did that. It's not worth pursuing legal charges. It's not worth ostracizing you as the person. It's probably worth you just got to you got to stand on the corner and say I'm a jackass for five hours you, and hold up a sign that says I'm I'm a jackass. And after that, you're you know welcome back to the fold. I think because that's like <laughs> oh man, dude, for me that would be terrifying. If I had to go stand on the corner with a sign that says I'm a jackass, <laughs> whatever I did, I'm going to really, I'm, I'm going to try so hard never to have to do that again. Yeah. It's a, it's a humility. And like you said, it's, it's not easy to do. It, even those people who have become relatively comfortable with panhandling on the side of the street, like they don't derive any sense of pride with what they're doing. They feel mostly i assume feel pretty rough about the situation they're in uh, granted there's those of them who were zonked out enough on heroin that they have no idea what's going on around them other than they need to hold that cup up to get a couple bucks but but the the any rational thinker in that situation it is heartbreaking to be that person that has the glean of the public eye on you the shame of the group on you uh unless you know you're empirically correct in your standing which is not typically the case for those people those types of people <laughs> um you know there there are certainly uh, I guess that out where you could know for a fact you're morally correct on this and society is wrong and you're not going to feel that same amount of shame. Um, but this is a powerful tool, man. And like we said, we are ultimately pack animals. Uh, we need the feedback from the animals around us. Um, I, for one, I mean, I think I've expressed that thought on this podcast. I think we're all kind of the same thing anyway. I think we're kind of the amalgamation, the, the uh, re- organization of DNA molecules to try to best fit each niche simultaneously while it's running this experiment over the entire world. Uh, and then we're just essentially trying to find better ways to propagate, uh, propagate. I don't know why I keep putting an L in that word. I apologize. Trying to propagate our genes. <laughs> uh, and in, in doing so that has expressed itself all the way to hairless monkeys that do podcasts about Liberty online. <laughs> um, but ultimately we all have kind of the same 
distinct need that in the same way that cell dies without signals from the other cells, the same way that that bee does nothing but bang his head against the glass trying to get back to the beehive, uh, though we have become more complex and have our, uh, or at least like to think that we have more individual thoughts and actions that we take, we do still take the feedback from the overall society and it is important to us. Mm-hmm. And just to, you know, now, just to once again clarify, we're not trying to talk about like the run of the mill bullying, you know, where it's just like you're 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 being an asshole to somebody for infallible traits or even traits that they can control. But you're just being a jackass about it. It's 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 not that it's trying to walk this fine line about how could you, how could this serve as a valuable tool to help elicit the intended behavior of the people in the group where it's like, cause I know that it's, I know a lot of times that we do like to remove ourselves and it's like, Oh, I'm not an animal. Don't call me that. And, you know, but it's like, there's, there's a lot of strong evidence that we still act like animals <laughs> in so many ways, myself included. It's, it's, it's still in our nature. It's still in our DNA. And I'm not sure what we are. Um, cause we're like, cool. And we have this consciousness and it's like, the brain named itself, but then somehow it's like consciousness. It's, it's you know, it's, it's all with this weird mumbo jumbo, interesting, esoteric, just nonsense rabbit holes. But there's also the society that we live in. We we have social cues. And I mean, Logan and I were talking about things offline where why don't we talk about that particular subject because of social cues, because I have been told in every inclination and in every time this subject comes up that that's not acceptable conversation we don't talk about that you should feel shame for even thinking that you know and there's so much of our behavior that is determined by the social cues your parents how they raised you the home that you're brought in um it's and it's it's almost this really interesting experiment about incentivizing and disincentivizing the outcomes that you want. Like we are, we were talking about offline about like a student who's not performing well, who's flunking and who doesn't care because all of the social cues going into that student says it's cool not to care. Who cares that you're failing school? Who cares that you're not showing up to class? You, right. then, Every peer is in fact praising them. It's like, oh dude, you skipped school today and smoked weed again. That's awesome. It's good for you. That's so cool. So there yeah. is none of that pressure here. Ahead, but sorry, it, but it, but then but if like that was not the case in my household, like you know, it's like you will apply yourself, you will, and it's not even just like go to school and get good grades, but it's just like you will behave properly, and there are consequences for not behaving properly. And I can't think of like any particular aspect, but I've had to stand in front of like a group of my peers and atone for my sins, or go to a parent like the 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 house of a kid that I was an asshole to and have to apologize in their living room to their parents for my behavior against their son. Those are very powerful corrective moments. And you want to talk about shame. <laughs> you want to, you want to talk about shame, cr- breaking down, crying over the fact that you did something mean to someone <laughs> else's kid. That is powerful shame. 
but there, <laughs> but that but back to this like that that idea of like the kid that's not doing well in school and because we say like oh well it's so mean to put like the dunce hat and stick him in the corner i don't know maybe we should call him an idiot Maybe there needs to be social cues that reinforce it. And it's like, I'm not saying that you need to go to your government run school and learn all your propaganda. All I'm trying to say is that you're 16 years old. You don't need to be dropping out and going and smoking pot. And you need to be applying yourself to become a decent fucking human. And I'm going to put this hat on you and make you stand in the corner while the other kids get to throw airplane, like paper airplanes at your back and call you names until it gets right. through your thick skull. <laughs> this isn't cool. <laughs> yeah, it's not cool to be a dummy. And that's the problem with it is it is kind of cool for some kids to be a dummy with other, in the eyes of other children around them because those children don't understand the larger implication of what it's going to turn into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not even that their other kids think it's cool to be a dummy. It's that you're not allowed to make fun of them for being a dummy because of all of the anti-bullying campaigns that we've come up with. Uh, I mean, I, think, I don't know if I said that already in this episode, but when we Googled like what's the importance of bullying, you have to get to like page 20 before you find anybody who has a serious positive opinion about bullying. And it wasn't even that positive. It was just like, here are the reasons we probably should bring bullying back uh, there. Here's some of the things that we're missing from it. Um, and I think that's part of this conversation too, is again, we're not saying a, you know, on one hand we have, let's bully every kid. Uh, that's slightly uh, abnormal or on the other hand we should eradicate bullying altogether where there is a a nuanced area of like there is an appropriate level of this bullying to go on in school that can help to create certain behavior i mean kids in school right now are wearing like fox themed butt plugs into class and and putting ears on and barking at people like dogs like that's something that uh i would for one probably like we could correct some of that social behavior a little bit (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) no you're right and and it's and I think that's there's a lot of taboo that we're brushing up on in this conversation just because a lot of people don't want to have the uncomfortable conversation because at that point now it's like, oh, you guys are bigots. Oh, you guys just can't accept people for what they are. And and but beyond it's like back to this whole thing, like Logan said, like maybe we need to bully kids for being dummies. It's not that it's like, oh, this kid has like a, a legitimate learning disability and needs a little bit of extra help or needs to be taught in a different way. If you're making fun of him because of that, then you're an asshole and you need to be bullied to stop bullying that kid because your behavior is unacceptable. But it's it's that that social cue of that it's not these legitimate issues that somebody might have that needs to be corrected. It's not that it's that it's that there's these overarching societal influences and inputs from the environment that the person is in that isn't correcting the behavior. That's what we're talking about. That's right. And I use crude words there. I say, make fun of them for being a dummy uh, because (laughs) I'm a dummy. I don't have the right words available to me immediately because my brain's not smart enough. What I really mean to say there, Matt, and Matt was much more succinct in it. I'm not talking about making fun of a kid for being dumb. I'm talking about making fun of a kid who is not applying themselves. This particular child that came up who I I won't get into too much detail in because I don't want to out this person. Uh, It's somebody in my personal life, but it's a a kid that has missed about half of the days of school that they've had. (laughs) So it's somebody who's not going to class. And then the answer is like, well, who cares? You know, I'm, I'm all of my role models are rappers with face tattoos. Like, why would I <laughs> uh, want to go to class and be like a dork like these other kids and get good grades? And it's all that all the friend group this person's in, all the people around them, all the influences that they are taking in is there's nobody telling them that they suck and that they're a loser for not applying themselves 
and and they're not getting also that proper feedback of like, hey, this is going to be a long term implication on how your life goes. You're going to sink yourself into a bad starting spot as an adult that you're never going to be able to dig yourself out of potentially. Yeah, and that's and <clears throat> and what's what's lacking, I think, from this overcorrection of it because we've we've overcorrected in both ways because like online bullying is just absolutely atrocious and i see it um i stay off social i I try to stay off social media as much as possible i'm on the podcast page probably more than anything but i hear stories in my town about oh did you see this on the internet like nope sure didn't but you're gonna tell me about it and they start telling me about it and it's like huh it's interesting because i know that person but they'd never say that to that other person's face you know, and, then, and and so we get this weird like keyboard warrior bullying type um, world. But then in the overcorrection of it, because there is that that nasty, toxic trait of just bullying kids or people for infallible traits or fallible traits just to be mean that now we've stepped back and we're removing any of the of that ability for us to just go to your brother. And there's something that's like very interesting about this and it's, it's biblical and I can't remember where it is uh, by any means, but it talks about like, if you're, if your brother is committing evil, you go to him in private. And if you can convince him in private, then you've won your brother. If you can't, then you go and you bring two or three witnesses with you and you try to, you know, and you slowly escalate the amount of public, you know, purview and scrutiny on someone's behavior. And then it continues, like, if you can't convince them with two or three witnesses, then you bring them in front of the church. And if you cannot correct them in front of the church, then you treat them like the, I think it's like Gentiles or tax collector or something, something like that. I don't know the exact, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where it's located. I know that it's in there somewhere. Um, that's you're going to say you move them to another parish so they're not touching little boys in your church anymore. <laughs> you do do that too. But there's, <laughs> but there's, yeah, the, there's that interesting concept of, of how we, how we build character and the inputs that we want for the people of society. And that all happens from the rest of us in consensus, giving that input because otherwise because the input for this this kid, it's not positive. And there's and I, I, you find me a world that that's a positive thing that a 16 year old is not going to class, that's going and smoking pot. That's not a, like that's not a good thing. And I've yet to, like, there's no I and it's like oh well they're not going to government school. Well they should be homeschooled and they should be learning very important life skills. But you're not finding it listening to rap music, smoking pot at 16. And I'm not right. saying that the I'm not it's not like these overarching nets against smoking pot and rap and, and rap music <laughs> and stuff like that. For 16-year-olds maybe I am. You know, it's like probably you should make better life decisions and that person needs better inputs into their life saying, "Hey, do better. You want to smoke pot and listen to rap music, get a job first. Right. <laughs> but you know what influence a 16-year-old doesn't respect is the government or their parents, you know, what they do respect is society, what society thinks, because they're trying really hard to be cool. I think it also gives you that aspect of flexibility. Um, uh, It can go wrong. Of course, you can have Salem witch trials. That is a product of the time. But I think the hope of this in the same way that I think we have to become more sophisticated and have better technology as a society in order for a, a, a voluntary society and anarchical society to work. I think too, that, this 
hope is that the the times are going to purse out a lot of these bad ideas we have. It'd be pretty hard to carry out witch trials right now in any community in the United States. There's not any communities that I know of that are going to have a strong enough belief in that kind of thing to go out there and hang somebody or to to throw a, a witch into a, a river with rocks tied to her to see if she floats or not. Uh, that's a, that's a hard sell nowadays. And so, and I think that's part of why you have to go back. I think the same thing, uh, you know, little, it'd be easier to find a couple communities who do believe in this, but I bet you it's a lot harder to find a group of guys who are going to go lynch a black guy for dating a white woman these days, you know, even in the heart of the deep South, it's going to be hard to get people so motivated to go hang somebody because we have such a stronger understanding. Now we've had some conditioning as a society. We've seen some more strong moral arguments and we have become more sophisticated with the onset of the internet. We have the entirety of human society's knowledge at our fingertips. As long as we don't use it to just look at cat videos and pornography, we can learn a couple things from the internet. And I think we have subsequently, uh, maybe even accidentally along the way in between our uh, sessions of depravity upon the internet, we have all kind of taken some time to condition each other socially and to see where we want to head as a society. Um, and when you have a more centralized uh judicial and, and executive branch, they aren't able to change nearly as quickly as you are as a society in those corrective actions. Yeah. And, and there's, there's so much about that. That's like, you can take the example of like tar and feathering politicians, which I think we should bring back, um, you know, affect, uh, elected officials who commit gross negligence and breach of the public trust. I, I'm, I am all for it. Let's bring back tar and feathering and parade them through the streets. And I know a lot of people say, well, that's a little extreme, but goodness, don't you think that that would really change the avatar of who runs for office, knowing that at the end of your term, whatever it might be from local to federal level, at the end of your office, you have to walk out of that building. And now the, now the constituents get to start reading off your time in office. And if you are found wanting, we're going to tar and feather you. are going to parade you around the town. Don't you think that that would elicit a radical change in behavior? Because I do. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it would. I think you would. And, and that's not one of those like, oh, you need a generation to change. I think the next election, you would have a radically different class of candidates. <laughs> You'd have a lot of people not signing up for re-election. You would have <laughs> like, a lot. God, of I think I'm not going to campaign this time. I think I'm out. I didn't get tarred feathered this time. This. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna take my money. I'm gonna walk. Or it's like, or or it starts to expose like, oh well, then why do I want to do this? And if I had to stand trial, and essentially, um, in front of the public, and the consequences of my terms in public service might be to be tarred and feathered. <laughs> but then there's like, talk about a powerful corrective input. That is going to change so much. And, and that's the, and we, I use torn feathering because it's not this radical, like, oh, now we're lopping off heads and it's the terror and now we're murdering people on the streets. It's just like, no, you're just tarred and feathered, ran around. <laughs> it's like you're brushing over a little bit what it is to be tarred and feathered. That's not a very pleasant activity from what no, I understand. No, it is not. And it probably <laughs> elicits second to third degree burns and immense mm -hmm. moral shame. Mm -hmm. But not only that, that, there's some parts of that tar that uh, you probably have to take the skin off with the tar to get the Yeah, tar no, off. you're right. It, and who knows? Like that might elicit death in the end. I, I, was about so, to say, I also think quite a few politicians died from tarring and feathering. So maybe, well. so, think, so maybe, in this, job, like, uh, I'm just, <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe that's a bad example. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. 
I'm not here to <laughs> I'm not here to hey, you just give them give them the Cersei Lannister. Shave their heads, make them march naked down DC Street until they get to the end of it, and we all scream shame at them, you know? Yeah, well, there but was it, well, that's but that's a very real world thing. Cause as the Allies started to free um occupied territory in World War II in Europe, all of the collaborators, well, the men they shot. So if you help the Nazis and you were a man, they just round you up against the wall and they shot you. But all of the women, especially those that slept with the Germans, they shaved their heads, they ripped their clothes off, and they made them walk barefoot out of town, and they ostracized them. Talk about a, a, an effective way of public shaming. And that's that's a very good signal to everybody. Do you, you think do there that? was at least one gay prostitute that was up against that wall in the firing squad begging for his case of like i was only sucking nazi dicks i did not help the cause at all in <laughs> right. <any other> way. <laughs> i only <laughs> alleviated some pressure from gay officers that's it my brother dietrich's in the resistance you know him <laughs> i would never <laughs> oh, i guess that's uh I don't know how the other sides necessarily felt about that, but I, I do think the Nazis weren't real cool with the gay stuff. So I don't know if that would have uh... actually tolerated it for a very <laughs> long time until it was really? no longer politically expedient. Yeah. The early, the oh. early Nazis were all a bunch of perverted homosexuals, like all of like Ernst Romst and uh, Ernst Romst well, and, I mean, and like all his essay guys. When yeah, you're taking like, that many amphetamines, you're going to get into some weird sexual stuff. That's, yeah. No, no, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> And it was very tolerated until it was no longer politically expedient. And then they all got murdered. It's called the Night of the Long Knives. Um, happens in like 36, I think. Yeah. Um, interesting, interesting little side note. Is that a, a well endowment type of joke? The uh, maybe. <laughs> so anyway, let's get back into kind of this character building aspect of this, because I do think that's an important uh, part of this conversation today, too, is like it, it, what what is this bullying, this public shaming, especially at the not necessarily at the executive branch level where we're talking about punishing crimes, but just the kind of the general behavior of, of uh, school children really, or, or society as a whole, like um, how can we use this as a way to better society in general? Um, I don't think it's a crazy statement to say that there's a link between the pacification of our society today and like how easily offended uh, and obsessed with cancel culture we've become as a society where we, because we've gotten so soft, the crimes against us that are punishable by losing your entire livelihood have become much softer. Yeah, there's, um, I've, I was told this by somebody in this community, and they told me that their dad used to say that men stopped being polite when other men stopped hitting them for being, or men stopped being polite when other men stopped hitting them for being impolite. And it's that mm -hmm. exact, that, that exact, um, idea of that we are we are sharpened by those of community and and in this particular story like this this uh this gentleman's father wasn't a very um wasn't a very aggressive person wasn't a very um over you know but there was uh there was an infidelity in the neighborhood and this man went to the other man and said that this is going to stop this this is the last time or there will be extreme consequences for your infidelity in our neighborhood and the behavior stops because the those those implicit threats were probably very real and tangible and i don't know what they were but it does make you wonder then about like how much of this and how much of this happens because we're so afraid of confrontation in our society and i think that's exactly what you're talking about this pacification of us where oh just tell bullies turn the other and you know there's that oh we'll just like it's okay just let them take your lunch money you don't retaliate sometimes you just got to slap a bitch back 
Um, or just would, the the push for like the uh, authority to take care of it for you. Of sure. everything like tell you said in school, teacher. you kind of lean to that. Yeah, right. That Go tell your teacher. To report it to the principal. Yeah, you send it up the ladder. When uh, when honestly, all that kid probably needs is get popped in the nose a couple of times. Right. That it really the only way to stop that bullying a lot of times anyway is to become too much of a problem for the bully is part of that. But just the the training we've get from a young age, especially now we're, you know, you're not even you're in trouble, too. If you retaliate against a bully, if some guy's sure. trying to give you a swirly, your only option, according to the school, is to try to wiggle out of there and run as fast as you can to the principal. So what you're training is an entire generation of people to appeal to authority to take care of these problems, which is a, a way to uh, allow the government to absolutely run amok in my mind and give right. them way too much. And I think you're also missing this uh, this idea of kind of the hero's journey. I mean, this is an allegory we all understand very well when it comes to watching uh, our favorite MCU movie, uh, whether, you know, Black Panther 7. And we understand that uh, that character has to go through a training monologue uh, montage at some point or they have to lose somebody in their family to become Bruce uh, Wayne has to lose his parents behind the movie theater in order to have the angst inside of him to become the dark Knight. Um, and we understand that characters have to go through this development in our favorite movies, unless they're, you know, a minority or a female character in a woke movie that they wanted to shoehorn in as the most important character. Now they didn't do any mm. character development along the way. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, but you, but you are right that there is that, um, that need for us to go through trials and tribulations to to rise and and like i guess fulfill our own hero role but even beyond that it's like if you're looking at the importance of the character building in a group that you would want all of the other students in that swirly situation to you would want eight other people to run into that bathroom and and then give the bully a swirly, right? Like, because that's the type of public shaming that we're talking Like, that's the type of input that we're talking about that you want the group. Heck, we had one of those. When yeah. I was a kid, Pokemon were really big. We're in, like, second, third grade. One kid pulled the holographic Charizard out of a pack. Super <sighs> valuable card we're all freaking out about. And he goes around and, like, asks all the kids, you know, who wants to trade for it? And we're all pumped. We're all giving him trade offers. And he just says yes to everybody. We show up to school on Monday brings the holographic Charizard and rather than trading it, he's trying to make an overall point to the rest of us that Pokemon are gay and you're all dumb. And he rips the card up in front of us. And we showed him very quickly that that was a bad idea because the society of that second grade little boy's bathroom beat the ever living shit out of that kid. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. (laughs) And he at least never ripped up any Pokemon cards in front of me again. Right. Well, that's but there's also I know that you can you can just take that at surface value. But then there's also like the important lesson. Like this is why you don't taunt unnecessarily. This is why yeah, you don't. Exactly. Yeah, this is like that was unnecessary. If you think that it's dumb, then that's fine. And you're entitled to that opinion. But if the rest of us think that Pokemon is cool, don't get all of our hopes up and stoked about getting a card <laughs> and then call it dumb because we're going to beat you up for it. <laughs> there will be don't taunt. Vacations. And one of those swirlies might have been involved in that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we we can understand this concept of why it's important to kind of build up um, within our kids this ability to have strength to have these confrontations. I mean, you're going to end up in a job someday where a boss doesn't treat you right, 
or they try to cut your hour or they ask you to stay late off the clock, which is definitely illegal. Um, or you're going to have that coworker that makes your life hell, or you're going to have that neighbor that doesn't respect your property the way they should, or has that. And you need to be able to have the skills available to you to have that confrontation, not to go out. And part of that skill set is not to blow up and start throwing punches right away when you don't get your way, but to have this ability to have a conversation and to correct that action uh, through social pressure rather than physical pressure. Right. And I remembered in the research for this episode, um, the uh, probably the strongest argument, and we should, probably should have just led with this and finished the episode with it, is that uh, John Kerry talked about uh, when uh, when America signed the U.S. Parrot climate uh, climate agreement, they said, well, there's going to be some countries and some people that don't participate and we're just going to have to wag our fingers and shame them, you know. <laughs> and it's like oh perfect john Kerry spoke let's call it an let's call it an episode john Kerry said that we can publicly shame and wag our fingers at you we're done <laughs> good old scary Kerry. looks like the bride of frankenstein he's he's got a very strong jaw you know it's like it's like a very very like roman jaw i think um he was, he was very Is handsome the, once upon a time isn't he the one that looks like professor uh, professor uh what do they call him? Snoke, the Star Wars villain in the new movies. They I don't call him Darth Snoke. I forget what they called him. Really? Let me look up John Kerry. I, I may be doing some injustice. I mean, I don't. This seems yeah, a that's little... what I thought. Yeah, he's that. He's that weird spindly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Handsome John Kerry. I think they. No, a young, a young John Kerry. A young John Kerry is pretty handsome. Right. I'm gonna give him one young Google. It's a lot better. I only knew him as an old man, but I, I'm going to still stand by that. I think he's a creepy looking dude. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> the chin is very prominent. <laughs> he was definitely a creepy looking dude by the time he was a, a politician running for president of these United States at a thousand years old or whenever fair. we find it appropriate to nope, run that's, for president. That's, that's totally fair. <laughs> I, I, I'll give you that one all day long. <laughs> uh, but along these lines, I wanted to make a, a very dangerous uh, allegory here that I, I typed typed slightly incorrectly earlier and Matthew like went off the rail and he's like what are, what are you typing there what the fuck is this thing um, so I'm going to try to succinctly put this so that this doesn't sound like I'm uh, an absolute monster uh, but this it. this conversation kind of goes side and side with me and, and what we saw during the uh, Me Too movement uh, there was a lot of talk during that time about like rape culture and we need to teach boys not to rape uh, and I have a little bit of an issue with this. Um, and that at that point, that's where I typed the sentence earlier and then like got sidetracked and didn't type this the rest of that sentence. And that was like, what? I was like, what's your, I was like, what's your hot take on uh, not teaching boys not to rape? <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I, I'm glad you brought up before the episode started. So I didn't like read that sentence and then go like, like well, yeah, that's definitely not what I meant to say. I don't know so what I meant that for. Very spicy take you have there, Logan. <laughs> So anyway, the issue I have, of course, is not with not teaching young boys how to rape, but with the idea that that is going to solve rape in society, uh, that I think the expectation that we're going to be able to teach every single boy in this country not to be an absolute piece of garbage, that includes every boy that Im immigrates in here, every 50-year-old man that immigrates to America, you have to instill that lesson in him as well. Every boy that's born that you know goes through the foster care system and uh, goes through some probably pretty close to rape type experiences himself if not outright uh, every, every boy that's yeah you you have to go through and teach every single 
human being in this society not to rape. And that's kind of where I take umbrance with this idea is that we're completely ignoring the defense of our young girls. And I think at this time, it was a lot of, of female empowerment was behind this Me Too movement. So I, I understand where it was coming from. But there was a lot of stuff of like, a woman should be able to dress as slutty as she wants, go out into public and not be worried about being preyed upon by men. And I absolutely 100% agree with that. I think you should be able to wear whatever you want and not be afraid to get raped. For yep. I also think we live in a society where I cannot talk to a person out of being a piece of garbage. If they're already in a place in their life where they're okay with raping women, my words aren't going to change that within that human being's head. So I can't just educate all of society not to take you as a target because you dress promiscuously. So what I think is a, a much more often overlooked and, and unfortunately so part of that conversation is yes, we need to educate boys not to be rapist, but we also need to educate girls to not put themselves in situations where they're going to be around morally inept men, but also men who you don't know their morality yet in a compromising situation alone where you don't have friends around you that can look out for you because you never know what's going to happen at that frat party. You, you go into some random frat party and your expectation is all of these men in this party should have the right opinion about rape and you're not watching your drink and all of a sudden somebody slips you something. It doesn't matter what your moral view of what society should think is because that piece of shit who doesn't have the same morality as you already got a hold of you. Yeah, and there's there's because that is a very spicy hot take in in like the in the uh, not so much the but just the the topic itself because it's so it's so because like yeah because you're right I think that you should wear whatever you want and not have to worry about being accosted like that's a fantastic um it's a fantastic world and I think though that it even even that example doesn't go far enough that you can n- not even be wearing anything that is even slight you you could be wearing garbage bags for all you want but that's not going to change the the underlying morality of certain individuals and those people are heinous mm-hmm. which that's why i think that's like the only the, the way we deal with that is that we 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 take their dick and we put it in the pickle jar i like the pickle jar that's a good it's a good because that's because there are those society back to what we're talking about like those societal inputs and you would only hope that in 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 a good world that you wouldn't have to worry about having to go to a party and worrying about that because there's enough good people that are willing to beat the absolute shit out of somebody they see putting something in somebody's drink. You would hope that you would have the bystanders that see this girl being raped behind a dumpster by, uh, or I guess allegedly raped. Was he, was, what's it, was that, was that guy, Brock Turner? Was he proven guilty of that? I think he was proven guilty of that. Um, I only vaguely recall that story you're talking about. Yeah, I guess we'll just use we'll just use no names because I'm not trying to defame anybody for all of these rat you know these huge numbers of listeners that we get. It's going to end up in in a lawsuit somewhere. But it's like, but you would hope that in that in that situation that you would have those inputs that would immediately step in and correct that behavior. And you're right because you can't. You can't just teach people that the world is this perfect, harmless place and nothing ever happens because that is that is the pacification of all of us. And and it manifests itself far more in not the extreme, but just like, oh, you have a bully at work that you don't have to deal with. Oh, you have something. And that's and I think that's back to the start of this episode where I differentiate it, where it's like it's not it's not that somebody we're not attempting to shame you as the group to correct your behavior. 
this guy's just a bully and he's an asshole. And I know that there's like, because it's such a hard, I mean, yeah, because especially when it comes to heinous crimes, but I also think that that's also why we brought up these heinous crimes with the idea of this ostracization of society that in, in Scandinavian times or in Scandinavian societies during these Norse times that we, you know, Norse times, quote unquote, because I have a hard time like trying to pin down exactly when we're talking about um, prehistory Norse time. I don't know Um, that that is, that is the reaction is that this is so unacceptable that you are no longer allowed to be a part of society. And it's not enough to just put you in a cage for 25 years and make you put on a registry that everywhere you go, we're all going to know that you're a pedophile. It's not enough for that. I also think that if we started feeding pedophiles and wood chippers in public settings, it might that if that's not a powerful deterrent, then I'm not sure what is. And rapists included, because that's like that's a that's such a heinous crime. It's one of the most heinous crimes that I can think of that that's what you need this very powerful public correction tool. And I'm not opposed to feeding rapists and pedophiles into the wood chipper in the public square. And hell, dude, blast them into the town compost pile and get some good mulch going and then plant them into the garden. Make sure those seeds really pop from all the human nutrients that were added into it. You could grow cucumbers on top of them. We could pickle them twice. (laughs) Jeez. I think once we finally get T-shirts going on this podcast, uh, I don't know the exact wording yet. No rape reoffenders and then just a pickle jar full of dicks. Yeah, it's no reoffending. No, no reoffending with the jar, the, the pickle jar, and it's a jar of pickles. Yeah, and I do understand where you're going with it. I still like, <laughs> like it's maybe it's, uh, not where well, I w- would have gone. And with I think it, the okay. the point, I think the the point I'm trying to get at there is it's kind of the similar ilk to we need to equip our young people to handle the issues of bullying or sexual assault in their own lives, because it is an impossible task for us to educate every single human being. We will never end bullying uh, with stopbullying.org, not just because it's a government organization that is going to be listless and spend your money in an absolute ridiculous way and never accomplish its goal because it needs to perpetuate its own reality of being a government program and therefore needs a problem to solve, but because it's impossible to get to every single bully in the world. It's impossible for us to get to every single uh, sex offender in the world. I mean, that's somebody, especially in that aspect, that's somebody who I think is already a broken human being who already is not going to understand empathy or morality. Uh, and therefore we're not going to be able to talk them into being a decent person. So in both of these cases, we need to take the time to make sure that we have some corrective actions for our young people to allow them to have the tools available to them to avoid that situation or to confront that situation when it arises. Yeah, that's that's well put. I'm glad you glad you put a bow on it that way. <laughs> glad you put a bow glad, on it that way. <laughs> glad you glad you said that again without once talking about how girls should cover themselves up better. <laughs> Sounded better that time. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I think that sometimes gets misconstrued. I. I have brought that up before and it's like, I, I'm not saying that I think girls shouldn't have the right to wear whatever they want. I'm telling you that sexual predators exist. And if you wear nothing, you're going to stand out in a crowd. Yes. And yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong. I also think that it's because like, I, I almost feel like we're brushing up on like victim blaming here 
in in a certain way and it's i just and see i i think that's what i'm trying to distinguish is i'm not victim blaming i'm saying you're correct but that's irrelevant for what that sex offender is seeing in the moment and what that sex offender is seeing is oh there's a 14 year old girl in a miniskirt i'm gonna go talk to her fair enough yeah no no you you know i i do understand i guess just for my own just so when we stand trial i'm not also um, <laughs> just so you can push yourself away from this one when i in, in this in this particular <laughs> i'll stand by you in all of the other ones but at least in this particular um in this particular indictment i can be like i don't know like listen to the tape i was <laughs> <laughs> well anyway the next segment that i have here that i want to talk about is a uh, slut shaming and uh <laughs> jokes just jokes people yeah and it's um and i think though just to, to try to wrap this conversation up i think really what we need to start understanding and really focus um maybe our energies and thoughts with are the intention behind it because i think that's the that's a huge differentiating um aspect of this conversation where you can sit there and you can be outraged and you can be an asshole about it, about whether the outrage is real or not, like the internet outrage. And I know that because when we were doing research for this, there were so many articles about like the pandemic and shaming. And it was on both sides about how like, hey, it's not working. This We're not trying to shame somebody for like going outside and running and trying to stay healthy. You should probably find better ways to go about trying to get, you know, illicit behavior from somebody. Or it's like, well, we need to shame all of these people for not wearing a mask and yada, yada. And there's a lot of like outrage about the pandemic specifically in the public shaming. Just give it a quick gut, duck, duck, go or Google or whatever you use search. And you'll find a lot of that, um, a lot of those articles. But I think it's, it's really important to dive into because the the idea behind like either the ostracization of somebody which sometimes i i'm down for it polite society doesn't need you <laughs> be gone with you you know i don't care where you don't care where you go but you can't stay here um or the reintegration of it is the intention has to matter and it can't be it can't be derived from a a place of malice especially if the intention like so with these extreme examples, yeah, ostracization or just elimination is a reason, a very reasonable um, solution. But in terms of like, hey, maybe you shouldn't run across the road when there's cars like there, you know, like like those or those those lesser offenses that you don't want to that you don't that you're not trying to ostracize somebody, but you want to correct behavior. I think the attitude is very important to consider. Is to consider is like you're not. We're not trying to be cruel. We're not trying to be um, we're not trying to go out of our way to be evil or mean about it. It's just that you're acting wrong. And yeah. we as the crowd hey, are here I mean, to look at, whip you into shape. On that exact note, I mean, this is at, at some point in here, somebody's gonna listen to this and be like, Well, I thought you guys were all about freedom of speech. It sounds like cancel culture. Like, aren't you just advocating? But it's not it. We're we're talking about this overall kind of like, like societal correction to bad behavior. And I think we're seeing that against cancel culture right now. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that more, more people are getting shamed for being the people that go dox people, for being the people that go after people's jobs, for being these, these small groups that go after. I mean, this is something that, and, and uh, you know, we, we haven't formed exactly how this works in society and how it, it gets divided up and where the parameters are. Uh, but 
as a whole, there is kind of this morality that the majority of us see that I think is is ultimately going to be closer to what is true than any small group or any, even if that's the intelligentsia of our society that gets to write all the laws, uh, which obviously Matt and I don't really believe in very much ourselves anyway. Uh, but if even if it's the most intelligent people within our society, those can be broken people too. And they can have the wrong opinion and they can enforce the wrong laws. They can also not be a part of your community and just simply have different values than you. It doesn't necessarily have to be an evil thing. They could just have a very different perspective of what is socially acceptable. Uh, they can have a very different upbringing that has allowed them to accept different things that you yourself would be appalled by and wouldn't want in your neighborhood and neither would any of your neighbors. Right. And that's why we kind of are into this localization of it. Absolutely. And and that's the and that's that's my hard stance on this one is bring back corrective public shaming with the intention of creating good community members. I'm not talking about being cruel. I'm not talking about being assholes to our neighbors. I'm not talking about going overboard. I'm talking about bring back this corrective form and the uh, the available avenue to bring your bro- brother back into the fold, so to speak. Because that's because at the end of the day, you're right. Like the localization, communities are going to share different values, and that's totally fine. But I think that it it, it is important that we as society do have. And I know that it's like, we talk about this. We, like Logan said, we named this podcast against the mob. I'm not advocating for the mob rule to start all of a sudden, like bringing people and throwing them in stockades and throwing rotten vegetables or public or public whippings or anything like of that nature for things that are just outrageous. And, but it's like, I think it's just like very small corrective behaviors. You got cats stealing from your neighbor. You got to stand outside the post office for eight hours with the sign that said, I stole from an old lady. I'm an asshole. That's, you know, (laughs) things like that. (laughs) And then you get your community service and you're fine on top of that. But it's just those type of things that there's there. I think because as we've gone so far in the anti this anti bullying and I'm not down with the because bullying's you guys are just being dicks and assholes like it's not cool to just be mean to kids or be mean to people um and I I always describe this to like like um to people that aren't familiar with libertarianism or voluntarism or just kind of like this general idea of freedom I always just boil it down to it's like first uh, like we don't hit kids and we don't take their stuff that's the very first rule you know, and when we start to look at this in that greater ilk of how this would manifest itself in society or or were the implications of it, I'm not I'm not here to advocate for just this run-of-the-mill grade A bullying that we know is not good for society. <laughs> I'm talking about the kid that's not doing good in school, who thinks it's cool to go smoke pot at the skate park instead of going to class. We should probably be able to put an idiot hat on him and parade him around town until he goes to class. I don't think that's an outrageous position to take. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm with you there. And I think the last thing I want to interject is that by us not correcting this behavior as a society doesn't mean we're eliminating that corrective force. You're simply giving that corrective force up to the government, to your authority figures, to those people who write our laws and and give all of our tax money away to foreign countries and those you know those people that you hate those people that are the absolute dystopian parts of the society they now get to decide what the corrective action is what's appropriate and they only have one speed they don't have 
uh, hey, Jimmy holds a sign of shame at the corner. They have Jimmy goes to jail for 10 years and pays an outrageous amount of money to the state. Right. Coincidentally, that's the way all their punishment works is you owe the state more and more money. Yeah. Or Jimmy's now on pro, uh, you know, um, parole or I guess probation. If you didn't go to jail, you're on probation and now you're in the state <laughs> system and that's it. Yeah. And it's, and, it's and I know just, I was going to say that was my last thing, but also consider the, the weight of that and the ability of rehabilitation. The state doesn't seem all that interested in rehabilitating anybody, if you ask me. So if we're really serious about rehabilitating and reintegrating people into society, seems like the state's doing a piss poor job in my book. Amen to that. And that's why make public shaming great again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, heard it, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, no, this has been a this has been a fun episode. I'm sure that there's a lot of things that, you know, and we're not here to present this with some sort of ironclad um capital t truth or even lower key lower t uh transient human truth it's just an interesting matt's matt's got the lower t truth i'm more of the higher t truth <laughs> um yeah yeah um, and it's uh it's just an interesting thought experiment because one of the things that is we start to try to work out what a stateless society would actually look like we're going to need to examine some of these weird, uh, not weird, but I guess more taboo, so to speak, conversations and actually dive into some of the more uncomfortable topics about, okay, like, was well, it bullying? Is it public shaming? What's the role? That's all we're here. We're just here to throw some stuff out. Hopefully, yeah, thoughts. It's in, it's interesting, thought-provoking at the very least. Um, and that's that's all we're here to do. That's right. I mean, that's part of it is that we are proposing a society that hasn't existed yet. So in order for us to eventually reach that society, we have to have these intellectual conversations. In the meantime, we have to open up society as it currently is to the idea that it is possible to operate without a state overseeing everything that we do. And in order to do that, we have to kind of start fleshing out these ideas. I mean, some of these things are not going to be uh, perfect until the society itself is formed and they're able to do some trial and error and run those simultaneous experiments all over the place, uh, which is kind of part of why I believe this whole libertarian thing is it allows us to run those simultaneous experiments. If you didn't catch that earlier, that was a nod to exactly how evolution in this world in general and life as a whole works is that we're all running these simultaneous uh, individual experiments to find out the best way to fit our niche. And I believe that society itself should operate that way and that that is something that we need to discuss in order to be prepared to do that we can't jump into it tomorrow but just because you don't understand a solution to a problem doesn't mean a solution doesn't exist it just means you haven't listened to enough episodes of against the mob podcast boom yeah heard it here folks thank, thank you very much for listening folks we always appreciate your week in and week out find us on instagram facebook and twitter of some iteration of against the mob please go check out our sponsors we really appreciate them for supporting the show and we would appreciate it if you support them too if you think we're doing a good job give us a five-star review it helps in the algorithm uh, i'm gonna refuse to pay for um advertisements and promotions and so the only way that this podcast is going to get bigger is if you guys give us a five-star review help us in the algorithm and you share it with somebody you think you might that you think that they might like it or maybe you think that they're gonna hate it and just ram it down their throat that's fine too doesn't matter however you decide to share it that's your prerogative but we appreciate you listening and appreciate you sharing with all that being said um <laughs> this spicy takes today we fight against the mob with people of politics see you next week